Hear the word of the Lord. That is why his faith, as you remember it is Abraham, was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. You may be seated. Underneath the statue at the National Archives in Washington, D.C., is has a phrase etched into the limestone that says, the past is prologue. The past is prologue. Sounds kind of like an, an odd phrasing. The past is the prologue. But So we got asked ourselves, what does that mean? And why was it etched in limestone, into stone at the National Archives? The line, the past is prologue, was taken from uh, the tempest, tempest from uh, William Shakespeare. And it refers to the fact that history informs and it even predicts our future. History predicts and informs our future. The idea is that our lives are directly linked to the past. Some of us, that scares the living daylights out of us if we really think deeply. Our, ah, it's true. And I'm, I'm not so sure about that past. It was kind of shady. It was dark. It was painful. I, I, w- I was a roller coaster heading for damnation. I was a total mess. But the reality is that our past is part, helps us inform and understand our future. History is a great teacher as to who we are and can be our guide as we look into the future. That is why it's fitting to have this quotation, the past is a, the prologue, etched into the front of the building that contains our nation's most important documents. So today, we are going to be reflecting on history. We're, we're, the, we're going to be looking at the biblical uh, understanding, the biblical history of the resurrection of Christ. The most, which is one of the most important events in the history of Christianity. I want to help you understand that this historical event is the prologue for every one of us. What you believe about what happened some 30 years ago on the third day just outside of Jerusalem informs your destiny and your life even right now. What you believe about the resurrection of Christ informs your history and it informs your future and it informs your now. So what I want to do today is to show you how the resurrection of Christ potentially serves as a prologue for the rest of your life, for your life and for your eternity. Or I could summarize the purpose of our time in scriptures with this question. What is the purpose of the empty tomb? What is, the, what is its purpose? For the past couple of weeks, we've looked uh, through Romans chapter 4 and we learned about uh, how faith in God's promises is 
meant to make God's people righteous apart from the law, apart from their own good works. In other words, this chapter has been showing us how our good works do not work in terms of granting forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. So in other words, no matter how good you are, no matter how generous you are with your gifts, no matter how many times you help that little old person across the street, no matter how many times you mow your neighbor's yard, no matter how many times you go visit your great aunt in Philadelphia, none of that, none of that gains you forgiveness or even a right standing before God. Paul's point here is that a relationship with God comes through faith in Christ alone. So our text this morning, Romans 4, 22 through 25, it gives us one of the best summaries of what Christianity and the resurrection are all about. So I've got two main points. First, we've got to kind of answer the question and see the reality that the problem of sin was solved by the cross. The problem with sin. Normally, uh, what I like to do is kind of walk through the text. But I've been noticing a few times in Romans, what I've been doing is instead of going through the text from beginning to the end, I start off kind of at the end and kind of come back around. So that's what we're going to be doing today. I want us to start off by looking at verse 25, the first part of verse 25, where in this thing, this section, it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses? Who was delivered up for our trespasses? So automatically the who is referring to Sunday school answer. Come on. Jesus. Very good. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. The word trespasses is one of those words of where we go. Oh, maybe you're doing the Lord's Prayer and you, you kind of just kind of rolls off your, your tongue and you're really not sure what it means, or you think immediately somebody is trespassing on my, line, my land, it's, it's posted, no trespassing. What does trespass mean? He was delivered up for our trespasses. The word trespasses is another word for sin. It is, it's simply any kind of violation of the law and the glory of God. It is the wrong that we do, the wrong that we desire, the basic brokenness that is in our world. It is the sin that causes conflicts, impure desires, mixed motives, deceitful actions. Sin is the problem in us. Sin is a problem in our world. It's a problem in our universe. According to verse 24, the who that verse 25 is talking about is Jesus. And of course, the event that is being talked about here is the crucifixion, which we celebrate on Good Friday. But what does it mean that Jesus, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses? Let me explain this by using actual verses from the Bible instead of just me giving you a seminarian's kind of overview. First, Isaiah 6, verse 3. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The Bible tells us that God is absolutely holy. There's nothing impure, nothing twisted, nothing impure about Him. God is holy. 
Romans 3, 23 tells us what is the problem though. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being, everyone is a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us that for the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, the spiritual death. So the penalty for the violation of God's glory or holiness is ultimately death. We need a remedy. We need a solution. Because if you are the person that you're next to, no matter how much you love them, you know they are sinful, fallen, broken. No matter how enamored you are with your best friend, your spouse, your children, you know they're broken. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, Roman, or 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, that is, in Christ, God was rec- reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So in other words, God has a plan. God has a plan for reconciliation of himself with us through the work of Christ. God created a pathway. He gave us hope because we were hopeless people. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and deserving death. But God was reconciling us to himself through the work of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, For I delivered to you of first importance what also I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to Scripture. God's plan involved Jesus taking the penalty for our sin. And Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption. Not in me. Not in a church. Not in my morality. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace. So the death of Jesus makes our forgiveness absolutely possible. Praise be to God, right? Okay, anytime you want to shout back. Really. The crucifixion of Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That is why the cross is such a significant symbol. The cross is where a holy God poured out His wrath on sin so that there is even the possibility of forgiveness. Jesus' death provided atonement for sin. It covered over our sin so that it's not even seen anymore. The crucifixion of Jesus was not an accident. Jesus did not stumble into this really bad situation. No, the text says that he was delivered up. He was delivered up. And it means more than Pilate. And it means more than the Jewish leaders. It means that God himself delivered up his own son for the transgressions of sinful people like you and me. Like your neighbors, your family members, this world that we live in. The delivering up of Jesus, the Son of God, was the plan of God to deliver His people from their sins. God was on a mission. He had a plan. He was driving this thing. And the death of His Son was, this, was central to this whole plan. 
So the moment in history was orchestrated and planned by God for the purpose of saving people from their sins. And do you know that God is still at work at this plan? He's not done yet. God is still at work in, in accomplishing this mission. So you are here by no accident at all this morning. God is behind that is happening. And he's behind you being here. He's behind the fact that you actually made it on time for this sermon. He's at work in all the details to accomplish solving the problem of sin. God's aim is to rescue us from Him. Therefore, the historic moment of the crucifixion was not just an event that happened some 2,000 years ago. It was the moment where Jesus paid for your transgressions. Jesus died, friends, for your sins. He paid the debt that you could never pay. Something that happened 2,000 years ago can be applied to you personally when you, by faith, believe what is probably the most familiar verse in all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have, come on, eternal life, right? This is the good news that the problem of sin has been solved at the cross. However, friends, the crucifixion is not the end of the story. That's often where we end. It's like, all right, Jesus paid it all. But that's not it. The next thing is the the power of justification has been validated by the resurrection. Easter Sunday, it's a day where men will wear pastels and dress up. Finally, you know, we, we get it all on. We we buy butter lambs and we, we eat food and we gorge ourselves. But it's not for the purpose of because once a year our, we're, we're told that we have to do it. The purpose is because this is a significant point of history. It is critical. Verse 25 continues with the second half of the great summary of Christianity. The text says, who was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. This is another important aspect of God's plan for salvation. And it is vital. It is critical that we understand this. In order to understand God's plan for uh, salvation, we need to know what does the word justification mean? What does it mean? It is a legal term. That means to declare someone innocent. In such a way that there is no guilt, there is no blame, there is no punishment. You have been legally absolved. But it means more than just being declared not guilty. Justification means that God has declared people completely righteous. It means that in the courtroom of heaven, God has pronounced over you the status. Listen to this. In God's courtroom, he has declared you to be totally 
obedient. Can you imagine that? That just sounds... I know how disobedient I am. I know how disobedient they can be. But somehow in God's courtroom, He has declared us, for those who have believed in Christ Jesus, received Him by faith, you are totally obedient. It means that God considers you to have never violated His law. It means that you are righteous even though you were never righteous before. And that is good news. There's hope. Justification is what makes the gospel such good news. You've been absolved. And that should cause you to dance. And maybe talk back a little bit more. It means that God gives you the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness. Something you do not deserve. It's been given to you. It means that God has declared you to be something that you would not be on your own. Righteous. Justification makes those who trust in Christ righteous. But what is the connection between justification and the resurrection? Why does Paul say he was raised for our justification? The reason that justification is connected to the resurrection is because the connection, there's a connection between sin and death. Right? All of sin have fallen short of the glory of God and all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God deserve death. We read in verse we read in verse uh, Romans we read in Romans 6:23 earlier the wages of sin is death the penalty for sin is death and in with sin and death with them being so closely connected sin cannot be declared as defeated if death was ultimate and final in other words in regards to Jesus it means that if he had only died If Christ had only died, then it would not be a signal that sin had been defeated. If death wins, sin still reigns. And that's bad news. If Jesus dies without a resurrection, then there is no hope that he is any different than any other person who has ever lived and offered any kind of religious... um, mechanism a religious um, institution to the world he wouldn't be no different and he would be no messiah if jesus conquers death by being raised to life friends everything changes everything changes the resurrection has sweeping implications hear this it means that his It means that his death was acceptable to God for the atonement of sin. It means that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. It means that the devil's scheme not only failed, but that it actually worked to fulfill God's plan. (laughs) Satan got suckered. It means that Jesus is the model of what God will do for those who will trust in him. It means that there is hope when dealing with death of a fellow believer, brother or sister in Christ. There's hope because of this. He was raised for our justification. So now, yes, we, we, we don't mourn as those who 
without Christ, we mourn with hope. Because we understand that he was, he was raised for our justification. And if my brother or my sister who has died, believed in Jesus Christ, received Christ by faith, I have hope. One day I will see him or her again. But hear this. The ultimate goal of heaven is not to see him or her again. The ultimate goal of heaven is to see Christ. To see the Father. To enjoy his presence forevermore, right? That's the good news. The resurrection of Jesus means that death has ultimately been defeated. It's done. The resurrection means that sin has been paid for and death is not the end. It means that the devil will not win. The resurrection of Jesus is a powerful statement. One commentary said this. To say that Jesus was raised because of our our justification is to say that his resurrection authenticates. It authenticates and confirms that our justification has been secured. The resurrection of Christ constitutes evidence that his work on our behalf has been completed. But there's more regarding the resurrection. The empty grave means something for our future, yes. But it also means something now for those of us who are in Christ. It has present implications right now. The defeat of sin and death has immediate implications. It means that the followers of Jesus share in his resurrection both in the future and now. It means that sin does not have to dominate our lives. It means that right now you can be living in victory and that a relationship with Jesus can ultimately change your life right now. It can change your marriage right now. It can change your workplace right now. It can change your neighborhood right now. It can change our nation, please, Lord Jesus, right now. And it can change our world right now. It has implications. And I'm not sure we believe that. So not only, it is not only the work of atonement that Christ, that is the Father is declaring. He comes from the dead to give us the guarantee of his victory over every power that would ever blight our lives. Every power. And I want you to take a moment right now. What is something that is a blight, a blemish, a pain, a sin that is in your life and you're going, I just can't get over this. A way of thinking, a mentality, an anger issue, a past. Think about it. Write it down in your mind right now. And hear this. There is not a sin, a temptation, a power, a passion that has or can ever enter into your life that will ultimately have to bow. Bow to the authority of Christ Jesus risen, victorious from the grave. Every one of those things that you have thought, that you're dealing with, that you struggle with, every one of those things are going to have to bow a knee to Christ. Period. So when Jesus rose from the dead, just think about this. He came to his disciples, right? He just didn't immediately go into heaven. He went to his disciples to persuade them that all he had done 
was now given to them to be made a reality in their own experience, in their own world, in their own context. Can't we imagine Jesus Christ speaking with His disciples and saying to them, listen, my children, my victory over sin, my victory over death, my victory over the grave, my victory over hell, my victory over the powers of darkness, my victory over time, my victory over history, my victory over men, my victory over the devil is yours. I am giving it to you. You can almost imagine the the disciples saying, well, Lord, that means we don't need to be defeated by anything or anybody. Which Jesus says, exactly. Exactly. Whatever men or women do to you, whatever may happen, whatever you may meet, remember my victory is yours. Death cannot separate you from the love of God. In all things, in all things, you'll be more than conquerors. You'll be more than conquerors because I have conquered And so in me will you be too. And then Jesus kind of ends off with saying, and hey, I'm with you always. (laughs) So not only has he given you this, everything that is in the resurrection, it's just not like a gift that he's imparted and he walks away from it and says, good luck with that. There's a lot of power. He's saying, not only are you receiving it, I'm still going to be with you till the end of the age. Ha! Amen. That, that is amazing, great news. So when at the Pentecost, the, whole, the Spirit of God came upon the disciples and filled them all, nothing was held back. Nothing was held back. Everything was poured out on them. And they went out. They suffered. They bled. And they died. And they filled the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They could not be stopped. And when persecution came, do you know what happened to the church? It exploded. We're scared about this. Some of us are scared about this this round of elections. Can you believe what's happening? This party, this party, this person, that person. And we're just kind of, our heart is scared. What's it going to happen? And the church is going, a pastor is going, you have nothing to fear. You'll only multiply. You're only going to grow if there's persecution. So that is good news. They couldn't be stopped because they knew that the great Savior, Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, was with them. And that from that moment on to the end of the world, He would lead them along in a procession of triumph. Triumph. Put very simply, if this risen Christ is alive forevermore. Victories over all in the earth and in hell is your Savior. You cannot be beaten. You cannot lose. You cannot be turned back. This is why the church of old and it should be of us too sings hymns that has words like this. All hail the power of 
Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem, which is a what? A crown. Bring forth the royal diadem. And to do what? Crown him Lord of all. Why? Because he is. He is the Lord of all. If angels are lying prostrate before him, how should we respond? You are Lord of all. And I can almost see Jesus saying right now, hey preacher, tell him it again. Tell me it again because I'm not sure they heard it. Let him hear it. He is Lord of all. And he is here. The power that is found in the resurrection is for us today. In your lives, in your marriages, in your struggles, in your schools, wherever it is. The power of the resurrection is for you today. So this event called the resurrection is so much more than just history. It's just not a blip on the screen. It's something that, if believed, along with the promises of God, it creates salvation. It gives life. It provides hope in the midst of confusion, in the midst of fear, in the midst of loss, in the midst of being disillusioned by believing that you are a hopeless sinner that Jesus died to pay for your sins, and that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God counts you as forgiven and righteous, and you are saved from the judgment, and you are given life. And life to the the full. And it's not just full, it overflows. Think about that. It doesn't just like, okay, I'm going to give you a full glass of milk, of resurrection kind of power. It's going to keep on bubbling over the top. So in this way that goes, the, the past becomes the prologue for you. Because what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago on the cross, and what the Father did by raising him from the dead, is the prologue for the future. It points us to where we are going, not only today, but tomorrow. You see, what, what you believe about Easter Sunday and what we celebrate every Sunday determines your eternal destiny. Whether you will be condemned to hell or saved from judgment in heaven. What you believe about Easter Sunday and every Sunday also determines how you view yourself today. And how you live every single moment of your life. So when it comes to Easter, which we are going to be celebrating next year, we are not just celebrating a moment in history. Every Sunday when we gather together, the first day when Christ was raised from the grave, whenever we come together, we're not just celebrating a day. We're not just celebrating a moment. We We are celebrating the moment in the sovereign plan of God that changed everything. Changed everything. To say that he was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification is, in effect, to say that God's plan for saving the human race worked. 
And when we go out of this building, the good news is that He will accompany us. And He will go with us. This morning, right now, He is with us. This afternoon, He will be with us. Through the night, tomorrow, the next day, next year, down through the years, He is with us and all of His triumph is ours. It's ours. That, friends, is the message of the resurrection. And that is good news. That is the message that a dying world must hear. And a dying world needs to believe. That's the good news of the resurrection. The answer is? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this morning that you will help us believe more. That not only were you delivered up, but that you were also raised up. And that there are implications for our life today. It's not just a historical moment that Jesus saved me back when I was a teenager. But it's a, it has implications for today and tomorrow and the next week. And Lord, I, I'm so thankful that the power of the resurrection is something for us as a church to enjoy. Lord, it means that when we understand the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, Lord, that we have a message to bring to the world, to believe, to be believed in. That you are a God who is reconciling the world to yourself through the work of Christ. You are making all things right. You are in the process of making things beautiful again through the gospel of Christ. So God, help us to believe that, to embrace it, to share it. So God, I, I pray right now that our church, Missio Dei Church, will believe this truth more fully. And that we will be compelled, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but we will be compelled out of gratitude to share this good news with those who are perishing. Make it so. Make it so. We pray this in the name of Jesus.